Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then there is no hope. We're just going to die and it's going to be over. Is it really true that Jesus physically rose from the dead 1,989 years ago or thereabouts? Because if he did, there is hope for humanity. There's hope for me, there's hope for you, there's hope for humanity. If he didn't, there isn't. And I don't know about you, but you might say, you might just believe this and, and not know the evidence for it, or you may doubt it and not know the evidence for it. Uh, or you might just be in your own echo chamber. Have you ever heard any evidence or any arguments against the resurrection, against Christianity? Or do you live in your own little echo chamber? Well, my friend Justin Brierley, it does not live in an echo chamber. In fact, he more than anyone else I know, deals with the arguments for and against Christianity on a weekly basis because he hosts the unbelievable show called Unbelievable. It originates in the UK, uh, and uh, it is a debate discussion show. Many of you have uh, have uh, heard this program before. You've listened to Justin on the program. He's been doing it for more than 10 years now, actually probably 15 now. And uh, he is a wonderful moderator, but he is a Christian. He his, his viewpoint is, is that Jesus did rise from the dead, and he's written a book called Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. And uh, Justin's been on the program before. Justin's great having you on again. How are you? Oh, it's, it's a great pleasure to be back with you, Frank. And, and you were one of my most recent guests on the show, of course, talking about your, your new book on superheroes and Star Wars and had you in a, in a fascinating discussion with uh, atheist YouTuber Paul Logia. So thank you for coming on. It, it was a great show. We're getting some really great feedback to it. And I don't know if you saw the, the graphic we created of it, but I had an R2-D2 peeking up from behind you. And there was a, a lightsaber in the hand of the other guest. And, <laughs> and I had a baby Yoda somewhere over my shoulder. So it was, it was good fun. Well, thank you for having me on. And Paul was a, a great person to have on because he used to work for George Lucas. And That's right. uh, so it was wonderful uh, dialoguing with him. And you, over the years, it must be 15 years now, Justin. Why don't you give us a little history of the program, Unbelievable, yeah, so people sure. know. Yeah, it's been it's been an amazing ride, really, because I went to the boss of our Christian radio station yeah, about 16 years ago now and said, I would love to have an opportunity in the schedule once a week where while we do a great job talking to Christians about Christian things, we could actually talk to non-Christians about uh, what we believe, why we believe it, kind of model what these conversations might look like that we have with our friends and family and neighbours. And and that's how Unbelievable was born. And I'm going to confess, not everyone liked it to start with. You know, we, we had plenty of Christian listeners who said, do we need atheists on our Christian radio station? Haven't we got enough of them on the BBC? Um, but actually, in the end, those those who <laughs> liked it loved it kind of thing. And so we, we just um, we went for it. And it really grew as a podcast and then latterly as a video show over the years. So it's been really exciting to see both sides coming together to, to dialogue and debate. I've learned an awful lot in the process. At about the 10-year mark of the show, as you've said, I wrote this book where I tried to 
put together what I think are some of the core arguments for Christianity. And uh, and yeah, it's it's been an exciting ride ever since, you know, because I, I do believe that actually we don't need to be scared. Um, we need to be confident that we can make the case for Christianity. We need to do that in a world where radical skepticism is only a Google click away. And and it's been a wonderful to see so many other people going on that journey of, of learning to have more confidence in their Christian faith by kind of engaging in these kind of, you know, honest, frank discussions along the way. Well, one of the things that the show does very well is it can allow people to go into depth, and you don't really get that in our soundbite culture. So you have a program that usually lasts about an hour and 25 minutes or so, and you're able to bring on the best minds on both sides to delve into the issues. Uh, and, uh, I mean, you've had the biggest names in, in the world on that program, Justin. You've had uh, Richard Dawkins on the atheistic side, and, of course, you've had people like William Lane Craig and N.T. Wright. In fact, you do another podcast with N.T. Wright every week, too. Why don't you tell people mm. about that so they know yeah. about that? Yeah, that's the Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast, and I just have the privilege of sitting down with the person who is probably one of the best, if not the best, New Testament, well, well-known New Testament scholar in the world, and he, you know, he has written these absolutely phenomenal books, huge books on the historicity of the the early church, um, the early church documents, um, the resurrection of Jesus, and so on. And it's a it's a weekly chance for people to ask questions of him. Um, he's he's not just in a way a New Testament historian. He he also turns his mind to all kinds of other issues, social, cultural, political, and so on. And he always just seems to have wise words uh, and and a wonderfully engaging style. So yeah, if if you if you enjoy the theology of N.T. Wright, it's a great way of engaging with it on a weekly basis. It's called the Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Well, let's start at the beginning, Justin, because your book I like the way it's laid out. Uh, the chapters are titled such as God makes sense of human existence, God makes sense of human value, God makes sense of human purpose. You go through the fact that the most sensible worldview, it seems, is the Christian worldview. So let's start with human existence. How does God make sense of human existence? Why would we turn to Christianity to say, this is the explanation as to why we're here? Well, I think the reason for it is that when you both look philosophically and scientifically at the world around us, Christianity makes sense of the data. It makes sense of the evidence. Uh, what kind of a universe do we find ourselves in? Is it one where, you know, just by the pure laws of nature and, you know, if things were just left to run by themselves, it would produce us? Well, not at all, um, because actually there's all kinds of incredibly things that just had to be just so in order for us to be here. Uh, you've probably, I mean, many of the listeners will have heard of the fine tuning of the universe for the existence mm -hmm. of life, the way that things like the force of gravity are set up to an infinitesimally specialized degree such that chemistry could form so that planets, galaxies, that matter could essentially exist. Not If, if it had been ever so slightly different, we would not be able to exist. Uh, there's that, there's the fact that there is a universe at all, you know, the fact that our best cosmology mm -hmm. suggests that our universe came into being, space, time and matter came into existence. Um, even just the fact we can do science at all, we can ask these questions of ourselves. There's this mm. extraordinary degree to which um, it, it either it's the most extraordinary fluke that the physical equations <laughs> of the mathematical realm happen to map onto the physical universe itself, or there's some kind of a divine hand behind this. Because even 
the, mm-hmm. the brightest scientific minds out there, Albert Einstein, Eugene Wigner, um, I had on my, sh- my show, um, Roger Penrose, say, this is a huge mystery. A miracle, in fact, is what they often call it, that, that we can do science at all. So I think there are just so many things pointing in the direction that this is not just the happenstance of whatever the universe happened to throw at us. Uh, when you look at it in detail, it feels like the universe saw us coming, that there is a God behind it. So that's just one example of the way in which I think, you know, Christianity makes more sense of the data, the evidence than a naturalistic, atheistic account of reality. Justin, what do you think is the best, most robust counter to that from the atheistic side? You've had so many atheists on your program, uh, the top in the world, when they're addressed with that question, why can we even do science? Why can, why does this universe exist at all? What are some of the things they say? It depends which one they're attacking. I mean, if it's the fine-tuning of the universe, often people will go to the, the multiverse as a possible counter to mm-hmm. it. You know, well, what if we are just one of many universes and we happen to be in the one that's conducive to human life? Um, right. The problem is it is such a speculative area. Um, and even if you were to grant some kind of multiverse-generating kind of physical aspect to the universe, that itself would need an explanation. And according to many cosmologists, such as Luke Barnes in Australia, that itself would be a have to be an incredibly finely tuned process itself. So it doesn't really get rid of the problem. Um, likewise, uh, when it comes to the beginning of the universe, you've had people like Sean Carroll, obviously, giving mathematical kind of versions of how we could explain it. Again, they only tend to push the problem one step back. So I think it's hard to get away from it. A lot more with my friend Justin Brierley. His book is called Unbelievable. Why, after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. He also has a great event coming up that he, even us here on this side of the pond are going to want to be a part of. We're going to talk about that right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. Excuse me. My guest is Justin Brierley, all the way from the UK. His great weekly program called Unbelievable. You need to avail yourself of. Wherever you get podcasts, just type in Unbelievable with Justin Brierley, B-R-I-E-R-L-E-Y, and you will find it. It's a discussion slash debate show, normally a Christian against an atheist. Sometimes there are other worldviews on there as well, and it is well worth listening to. Justin also does the Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast, which you want to make yourself aware of as well. And uh, right now we are talking about uh, atheist explanations for, say, the beginning of the universe or the fine-tuning of the universe. And this is important, friends, because if we're going to have hope that Jesus rose from the dead, God must exist before the resurrection. Otherwise, the resurrection would be an anomaly or it didn't occur. You have to have a God to raise somebody from the dead. So we're talking about the existence of God first before we get to the resurrection. Now, Justin, you've had some of the greatest atheistic minds on the program. Sean Carroll is one of them. He had an interaction with Luke Barnes who is a theist and believes in the fine-tuning of the universe uh, and thinks that God is the best explanation for that. What are some of the 
What's some of the conversation those two gentlemen had? Mm, mm. Yeah, this is going back a few years, but they had a great conversation. Sean Carroll is, you know, and has defended a naturalistic point of view. So he's very definite about where he mm -hmm. stands on this. He's not an agnostic. He's a naturalist. He says, uh, as far as he's concerned, the best explanation for reality is that all that exists is matter and motion and the, the natural laws of the universe. Um, and and sure, yeah, and, and so uh, Luke Barnes pushed back on this. Uh, Luke is a Christian, but he, you know, he he is as, just as fine a cosmologist and astrophysicist as Sean Carroll is. And 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 he has done a great book, actually, looking at the evidence for the fine tuning of the universe. What was interesting about their conversation is that they both respect each other scientifically, um, but they, they just have a different kind of almost stopping point, a metaphysical stopping point. Uh, Luke called it brute facts. OK, that, that, that Sean Carroll, as it were, has to just own up that there are some brute facts about the universe on his naturalistic account. OK, because questions like um, why is there anything at all? Why are there? laws of nature um uh, kind of why is the mathematics so elegant and so extraordinary uh these are if you like the stopping points for 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 sean carroll he doesn't kind of he says that well you just have to have a stopping point okay there is going to be some mystery if you like in the universe uh but as far as i'm concerned that's where i stop and and luke simply asked the question of sean well why stop there you know uh he he gave a great analogy he said let's imagine okay maybe in a couple of hundred years time that the great 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 granddaughter of albert einstein alberta has finally written up the complete solution to everything physical okay all the top <laughs> physicists of the world are, are gathered as she writes up every single sort of complete physical equation that explains our universe on the blackboard and and they say and and he asked sean well would that be it would that be all your questions answered basically and he said or would you actually want to go beyond the blackboard would you want to ask well, why are there equations at all? Why is there a blackboard at all? Why is, you know, and for, for, for Luke, that's a perfectly valid question. And for him, it makes sense to ask that question mm -hmm. because it's a natural question to ask. It, it's the kind of question of why, why are there laws at all? Why is there a universe at all? And he doesn't see why you should stop at just this kind of naturalistic stopping point and say, that's, that's my brute facts and I'm not going to go any further than that. Sean Carroll came back and said, well, well, God is your brute fact, Luke, you know, uh, God, you know, and, and I just don't accept, you know, God because I've got these other reasons not to believe in God. But for me, I think um, I, it's a fascinating one. But I, I do think ultimately that when you get to that point of the physics of the universe, the kind of the question of why there is anything at all, especially why there are laws of nature, why they take the form they do you do run into a kind of metaphysical boundary. And I think at that point, it's perfectly valid to ask, can we have another explanation? And yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense that given the the extraordinary nature of life and the universe, that positing a God makes sense. That I, 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 For me, that's, that's a natural next step to go to. And it, the only reason you wouldn't is if you had an ideological presupposition about reality that stopped mm. you from doing that. And mm. I think, you know, in a sense, Sean, Sean does. And I think he kind of owns up to that. You know, a mutual friend of ours, and uh, the great John Lennox has put it this way, that at the end of the day, there's only two worldviews. Either matter gave rise to mind or mind gave rise to matter. And uh, obviously, if matter is the ultimate stuff of the universe, then... Okay, it gave rise to mind, but we know that matter had a beginning. We know that matter is composed. We know that matter degrades. We know that matter by itself is dumb. It seems that the ultimate reality, therefore, is a mind. 
Mm. And if ultimate reality is a mind, the logos, as John Lennox would say, quoting from John chapter 1, then uh, naturalism isn't true. I, I wonder how Sean Carroll would, would a- answer the question, what evidence do you have for naturalism? What would he say mm. to that, do you think, uh, Justin? Because can you have I, I evidence he, for naturalism? <laughs> I mean, well, well, I, I think he kind of goes down the route that, that I think many naturalists do, which is just that, well, well, the only kind of physical effects we see are are natural. You know, we, we can't sort of mm. go beyond the natural sort of effects of the universe, uh, physical matter that we kind of observe through our microscopes and so on. But of course, there's actually a huge pushback against that, especially in the area of mind, um, where a lot of people, and we're not talking about Christians necessarily, a lot of secular philosophers are saying, no, consciousness is a different kind of thing you you cannot simply go from matter to mind there's there's a qualitative difference between them it's interesting actually because roger penrose again one of the greatest physicists in the world he was awarded the nobel prize for physics in 2020 i had him on my big conversation show a couple of years ago with william lane craig debating the universe and you know he worked with stephen hawking and others on you know singularity theorems mm-hmm. and everything but he's he's very interesting because although he's not religious, he's not at all. Uh, he's not really a naturalist either, um, because he said he he identified three different realms that he believes actually exist independently of each other. He identifies the physical realm, so that's you know the uni- the universe, rocks, trees, planets, and so on. Mm-hmm. He identifies the mental realm. He says that exists because the mental ex- your mental experiences are not the, are not physical experiences; they're different. And he identifies what he calls an abstract mathematical realm where these, this extraordinary fruitful area of mathematics. And he says the great mystery is the way all three of these combine and overlap on each other, that we can access with our mental uh, mind this mathematical realm. And this mathematical realm maps so extraordinarily fruitfully onto the physical realm. Mm. And he said, I just don't understand how that happens. And of course, William Lane Craig said, let me give you an idea. Um, and he said, what if, what if all of those realms are linked by a mind what what if the it is the mental realm that mm. actually links all those in fact there's a divine mind would make perfect sense of how to unify these three separate realms that you say exist roger and they had an, a really interesting back and forth on that but i i think i think actually it's when you approach that kind of barrier that metaphysical barrier you suddenly realize the naturalist thing won't won't cut it 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 it, it leaves mm. too many holes and and when you've got a brilliant physicist like roger penrose saying this is a great mystery or there's a huge miracle involved here. You've got to ask yourself, you know, what, what are you actually looking at in the end? Yes. When Sean Carroll says that only material things exist, he's counting out the very mind that has brought him to that conclusion. Because if he's just a molecular machine, if he's just a moist robot, why should we believe anything he says about naturalism? In fact, this came up in our conversation that I had with uh, Paul on your program last week. Uh, that C.S. Lewis quote where C.S. Lewis says, unless I believe in God, I can't believe in thought, so I can never use thought to disbelieve in God. It seems to stop every naturalist in their tracks. Why should I believe naturalism or evolution or atheism is true if I can't arrive at these mental conclusions without some sort of free will, without some sort of ability to follow the evidence where it leads. And naturalism doesn't give you that opportunity. It, it just leaves that out. And so yeah, yeah. it seems to me a self-defeating I, viewpoint, mentally anyway, Justin. 
Yeah, I, I, I meet so many naturalists who, who firmly and positively declare these days that they're determinists because, you know, hey, we all know yes. the universe runs <laughs> mm-hmm. according to these principles and it's basically all just a knock-on effect of, of one particle interacting with another. And, and, and I just don't get it because I'm like, well, if that's true, mm-hmm. if everything you think right now was determined since the beginning of the universe, um, how on earth can you talk about evidence leading to rational arguments leading to logical conclusions because exactly. none of that's actually none of that's actually happening all that's happening is that the molecules are bouncing around in your brain causing you to believe certain mm-hmm. things so for me it, 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 as many have pointed out john lennox c.s lewis many others it, it determinism and that kind of view of the universe that clockwork view of the universe radically undercuts ration rationality um, and it's very hard to see how anyone is coming to any reasonable, rational conclusions if it's a non-rational, non-reasonable process that is, in fact, mm-hmm. what drives it all. Um, so for me, that that again, it's, and it's not the easiest thing to kind of bring across to the, the lay person, but I think it's a very powerful argument mm-hmm. that has actually persuaded many philosophers that you cannot have a, a purely naturalistic universe in that way. Yeah, in fact, that's what really was one of the obstacles for C.S. Lewis to continue to be an atheist. As soon as his colleague told him that naturalism didn't work, it was logically self-defeating, he immediately said, okay, I believe in a spirit. He, d- he didn't go to theism. He said, I didn't want, the, he said, I, I, I didn't want this spirit to be a nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> a nuisance that it would it would somehow put moral claims on him you know lewis was being honest he said i knew there had yeah, to be yeah. a spirit because without without a spirit i couldn't even explain how i could think anything and uh our mutual friend max mclean his new pro his new uh, movie on that i don't know if you've seen that yet justin it's very well I have. done the uh i have it uh, most it's reluctant convert good. movie yeah, yeah, I, I've watched it, yeah. and, and um, I've been in touch with Max about it. In fact, I had him on my show to talk about it, and he does such a good job. And uh-huh. some of, the, I mean, obviously he's he's obviously taking a bit of poetic license by recreating some of these sure. scenes between Lewis and his colleagues, but they're very, very well done. And and yeah, I I can highly recommend that movie, The Most Reluctant Convert. It's called. Now. Uh... We're coming up on a break here, Justin. Uh, Just give us a little taste of what you're going to have on Saturday, May 14th over there in the UK, and then we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. What's happening? Well, it's our big unbelievable conference. And for the first time, we're back in person at the British Library in London. But we're opening up to everyone all over the world online. So you can attend from anywhere in the world. It's from 9 a.m. Eastern, if you're listening out in the us or canada and it's all about unmuting god it's about finding our authentic voice again in a culture that is so riven by confusion and division so we've got some great guests and i'd love to tell you all about them we're going to get to that right after the break Uh, my guest is justin brierley his book is called unbelievable and the god unmuted conference is coming up here may 14th that's a saturday all the way from the british library in the uk You can join via the internet. We'll tell you how to do it right after the break. Don't go anywhere. We're back in two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, are you afraid to speak up and talk about your Christian faith? Are you self-censoring yourself? Are you canceling yourself? Are you worried about being canceled if you just say one wrong word according 
to the inclusive, tolerant, and diverse culture, which is not so inclusive, tolerant, and diverse, because in the name of inclusion, tolerance, and diversity, they will exclude you and not tolerate you if you utter the wrong thing. So what do you do if you're a Christian? Because Christian beliefs are now completely anti-cultural, or we might say the culture is anti-Christian. What do we do about that? How can we inform ourselves so we can be better ambassadors for Christ? Well, my friend Justin Brierley is going to have a, a full day all the way from the UK right from the British Library. It's called God Unmuted. It's time for the church to find its authentic voice again. Tell us a little bit more about this, Justin, and how people can join from this side of the pond and be a part of this. Well, Frank, thank you so much for the opportunity. If anyone wants to come along on the day, uh, we've obviously got the in-person option in the UK, but from all over the world, unbelievable.live is the place to go to book a ticket to join us online. And it's, it's going to be fully interactive when you're visiting online to the conference as well. So you'll be part of the Q&A. There's going to be lots of chance for interaction with all the guests. We've we've got a huge lineup, 10 guests all together joining us uh, for this year's conference because we're going to do a lot of it panel style. For instance, in our opening session, uh, Glenn Scrivener, who's, who's a wonderful speaker here in the UK, will be speaking on why Christ alone can win the culture wars. And then we've got a, a panel discussion on unmuting God and asking what would Jesus say about race cancel culture and identity those are the big hot button issues we know that are dividing both the church and mm. culture at the moment frank and i just felt this year this is what we need to talk about we need to have an open and frank discussion about these issues so we've got some guests joining us for that alongside glenn for that panel discussion uh, lisa fields uh, leads a, a kind of apologetics ministry uh, to african americans in the u.s um, jeff vines is also another u.s church pastor who'll be joining us for that calvin robinson is an interesting character here in the uk he's kind of very much on the anti-woke kind of side of the discussion uh, he's mm -hmm. got a lot a big big following on twitter um, and uh, we've also got phil vischer who's you know been you know, has 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 his fans and and those who who don't like what he's doing uh, when it comes to issues around race mm -hmm. and identity and so on. So we're going to have a really interesting, diverse panel in that way to 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 kind of have a frank conversation about these issues. Uh, and it's one where we're very much going to be taking pa uh, audience questions, but we also want to talk not just about the controversial issues, but also how to transform our culture, not be consumed by it. Alistair McGrath mm. will be our second keynote speaker. He'll be talking on that subject and then we're going to be hearing again in a panel discussion format from uh, voices around the world. Joseph D'Souza is a bishop in India. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Sharon Dirks, who's from the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. John Wyatt is an international bioethicist. Sky Jitani will be joining us as well as we sit down again with Alistair as, as a panel to look at how we speak with our, our voice uh, in about Jesus in arts, in science, in global culture, that kind of thing. And there's going to be some really practical stuff as well about how to share our faith in a confused and divided world. Um, so it's, it's going to be a day where we really do take the bull by the horns and we ask, how do we speak with grace and truth into our confused and divided world and be a, a witness for Jesus? I think very often, Frank, um, Christians kind of feel nervous about speaking up, like you were saying. Uh, they mm -hmm. see the culture wars going on and they don't want to kind of leap in with both feet and just become another voice in that battle. So for me, it's all about finding what is a wise, uh, Christ-like way of engaging our culture at the moment and showing that there is a better way. This is, this is the thing I found is that um, in all my travels, I've met so many atheists and agnostics and skeptics, but I rarely meet someone who isn't a believer in something, if you know what I mean. And, and it, right. very frequently I find mm -hmm. it is an ideological issue. It may be, you know, 
LGBT, it may be race, it may be identity, it may be another issue that that sort of has become that person's sacred issue, if you like. And they may have their own kind of holy books and they may have their own, you know, uh, sacred rituals. They may have their heretics as well. You know, you look at someone like J.K. Mm-hmm. Rowling, who's suddenly been cancelled, you know, by a lot of people because mm-hmm. she takes a particular perspective on trans issues and so on. And so for me, it's the problem is that we turn these issues into they become mini religions of their own frank they they become yes. kind of the the kind of idols that people end up sort of following in and of themselves and the problem is with any religion that doesn't have jesus at the center of it it quickly becomes graceless and and highly toxic actually and for me we want to acknowledge that that's actually people's desire for justice that's coming from a good place actually it's just that we'll never have a world where justice truly flourishes if we don't put Jesus at the centre. And for me, that's what the conference is about, ultimately. It's about saying we need to put Jesus back in the centre of these conversations because it's only with him that we will actually see true justice prevail, we'll, only with him that we'll see the world truly transformed. Otherwise, it's just culture wars and all you get from that is casualties. So so that's that's the big idea of, of our God Unmuted premier unbelievable conference this year saturday the 14th of may and as i say we would love anyone from all over the world to attend unbelievable.live is the place to get tickets see the speakers and, and check out the schedule justin very well said about putting jesus at the center you get a round of applause for that I'm, I'm, that was <laughs> that was well done justin yes and no you're absolutely right and uh people will put something at the top of their priority list. As you said, maybe it's their own personal identity, maybe it's LGBTQ issues, maybe it's race, maybe it's it's something else. It does turn into its little mini religion. It, it, it's an idol. I'm reminded of what uh, Philip Johnson once said, the, the gentleman that wrote God, uh, um, Darwin on Trial. Uh, he said, he who is a skeptic in one set of beliefs is a true believer in another set of beliefs. And mm. uh, so some mm. of the the skeptics who are skeptical of Christianity, well, they believe positively in other things, whether it's LGBTQ yeah. or whether it's uh, uh, some of the woke ideology or whether it's materialism or whether it's macroevolution or quantum vacuums bringing the universe in together. They, they actually believe in some positive things and they need to defend those beliefs uh, if they're going to say that these beliefs are really true yeah. and what we ought to follow. Anyway, uh, the website yeah. again for that, Justin, is what? Unbelievable.live. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's right, Frank. Unbelievable.live. Um, there's there's a little video promo there you can check out where I'm introducing some of the topics and guests. And and yeah, you, you can just check out all the different options. There's even a pay what you want option. So we want to make this very accessible for everyone, whatever whatever their budget is. So so um, yeah, that, that's the place to go. Unbelievable.live. Now, those that do... Uh, sign up can they watch these these lectures or these panel discussions after the fact or they have to be there live to watch them uh yeah you can and in, in fact uh, for those who maybe are on a different time zone but would like to kind of do catch up uh-huh. we are offering that as an option as well so so when you get your your ticket um if you want to request uh for for kind of the catch-up version of of the conference we can make that happen for you um likewise um anyone who gets our, our premium ticket uh for online they, they get all the downloads anyway soon after the conference, so every, they get to watch everything 
uh, again, at their own leisure. Uh, of course, being there live, if you can be, if you can be involved live on the day, that means that you get to be involved in the Q&A. You get to, you know, be able to ask questions of the panelists and so on throughout the day. So so there's an advantage if you can do it live. That's kind of why we, we're having it at kind of an unusual time in the UK. We're doing it 2 p.m. UK right through to the evening because we've got a special part of the conference. Our evening event is a great conversation on is there a master behind our mind between Sharon Dirux, who's a uh, an Oxford neuroscientist, and a Christian, and uh, Ian McGilchrist, who's become quite renowned as a um, brain psychologist. He wrote a, a book that everyone's talking about, The Master and His Emissary. And so he's he's more on the secular side, but they're going to come together, have a great big conversation dialogue um, as part of the conference in the evening. But we're hoping the fact that we're starting it later in the day here means that more people can join from your side of the pond, Frank, uh, at about 9 a.m. Eastern or you know, if you're on the, the West Coast, it'll be 6 a.m., so an early start. But but well worth joining us live if you can do. Sharon Dirix, I think, was interviewed by Lee Strobel for his newest book, uh, The Case for Heaven. So, That's right. Uh, I, she, was, she was very good in that chapter, as I recall. And she's also yeah. interviewed for the so, new movie uh, documentary of The Case for Heaven, uh, which I, I had the chance to have a look at. And, and Lee's coming on my show next week to talk about it. So... Yeah, she's oh, she's good. a really interesting person. Yeah, so so yeah, one to watch out for. Well, friends, go to unbelievable.live. That's unbelievable.live. And while you're at it, uh, if you sign up for the uh, God Unmuted conference on May 14th, you should also check out their website and also sign up, subscribe to Justin's podcast called Unbelievable. And you'll get an hour and a half or so every week of some great conversation uh, that deals with some of the issues we've spoken about today and many more. In fact, Justin, let's move on now. We talked a little bit about the evidence for God, uh, the evidence for the fine-tuning. We talked a little bit about the mind-body issue and how there's got to be some immaterial realm out there for us to even be able to think and have free will. Let's now move on to the resurrection since this is Holy Week. You've had everybody uh, big on your program, both for the idea that Jesus actually did rise from the dead and those against. Who are the, who are the main scholars in this world, uh, say, for the resurrection and against the resurrection? Well, there's, there's many names I could choose from. Um, obviously, so some of the most influential scholars kind of who have been writing on, debating on the physical resurrection of, the, of Jesus uh, Mike Lacona, you know, and Gary Habermas mm -hmm. uh, wrote very, some very influential books. And they, they've kind of led the way in what's sometimes called the minimal facts approach to the resurrection. So looking at the kind of historical facts that even very progressive, non-believing scholars would, would still affirm uh, around Jesus, that would be things like, for instance, the fact that his followers believed that they had had experiences of the resurrected Jesus. Uh, it would include the uh, explosive growth of the early Christian church. It would include the conversion of skeptics such as Paul and James and so on. And and the question they ask is, you know, well, given that there are these shared believed historical facts that even non-Christian secular scholars uh, affirm, what does that actually show us? Could, could it be that those facts alone, even if we didn't sort of, you know, go to all the specifics of the New Testament stories and the Gospels, would they be enough to show that something strange happened in the first century? And and I'm very sympathetic to that. In fact, just on, on my own show this weekend, Easter weekend, um, I'm featuring a discussion between Justin Bass, who's written a very good book on this um, called The Bedrock of Christianity. He, again, is a, uh, a New Testament scholar who says, actually, if you just looked at 
Paul's writings, you know, um, just the first Corinthians 15 and, and some of his letters, just from what we know of that historically, we know that something really weird happened in the first century that went against all the Jewish theological expectations of that time. Mm, uh, so mm. I've got him in conversation with Dale Allison, who's more sceptical of the sort of the physical aspect of the resurrection. That's that's an interesting conversation. Obviously, on the other side, there are many scholars. You've got people like Bart Ehrman. Uh, you've got James Crossley. You've got a number of others who who are willing to kind of say, I believe in these facts, but I don't believe they necessitate a resurrection. But yeah, maybe we could talk more about that in a moment. Yeah, let's do that. Let's see what the skeptics have to say. What is their explanation for the minimal facts? We we all agree on the same facts. The question is, how do we interpret those facts? You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk. My guest is Justin Brierley of the Unbelievable Podcast. You need to avail yourself that of every week. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, on Monday, April 25th, I will be at Louisiana State University, LSU, the LSU Tigers, for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's open to the public. Anyone can come. Check our website, crossexamined.org. For more, it starts at 7 p.m. Central Time on the Louisiana State University campus. That, of course, is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I hope to see you there. Also want to mention next week, The Ethics of Abortion, Pro-Life Apologetics in an Uncertain Age, an online course with my friend Scott Klusendorf, I think one of the best uh, pro-life speakers and certainly pro-life trainers in the world. He'll be your instructor if you sign up for the premium version. You will have several Zoom sessions with Scott to hone your skills, ask questions, Check it out. Go to crossexamine.org. Click on online courses. You will see it there. Back to my friend, Justin Brierley, his book, Unbelievable, and podcast of the same name. We're talking about uh, the resurrection right now, and uh, we have people on both sides, quite obviously. Scholars saying, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Others saying, no, he didn't. Now, Justin, you you had a little uh, analogy on TikTok that went pretty viral mm. uh, about the resurrection. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure, sure. So I'd, I'd been doing TikTok for a little while. This was about a year ago. And um, some of these videos had done quite well talking about why I believe God exists, why it makes sense to believe mm -hmm. in the creator. And inevitably, a lot of people got in touch and asked questions saying, OK, if God exists, which God? Because there's Muslims, there's, you know, Hindus, Jews, whatever. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and um, they said, wouldn't you have to kind of search through every religion to know which one is true? And and I said, no. And, and this was the analogy I used. I held up a big bunch of keys and I said, look, when I go to my church uh, to unlock the front door, I often have to search through a whole similar set of looking keys before I find the one that actually unlocks the door. OK, but if I have found that key and it unlocks the door, I don't go searching through the rest of the keys and try every other one in the lock mm. just in case that works too. I know I found the right key. And I said, and I think it's like that with Christianity. You don't have to exhaustively search every single religion and all its claims in order to know that Christianity holds the key. Because if it's true that Jesus Christ is who he said he was and that he rose from the dead, you have found the key that unlocks the door. It's because if that's true, then the other ones can't be true, kind of by definition. In that sense, if you ask me, how do I know which God is the true God? It's because that God has revealed himself to us mm. in the person of Jesus Christ, in the death, life, death and resurrection. And so for me, that's kind of that's why there is this historical bedrock to Christianity. It's not just sort of 
well, once you've established a case for God, you just kind of have to take your choice of to which of these gods it might be. There's there's a very good reason to believe that Jesus Christ proved that the God of the Bible is the God of the whole show. And for me, that's why I think we are extraordinarily breast flank to have the kind of historical evidence that I believe we do have for the resurrection. Mm. In that sense, Christianity stands apart from every other world religion. Many of the others are based essentially on personal revelations, angelic dreams, visitations, things that cannot actually be put out in the public square and debated. They, they are just sort of subjective personal things. Whereas Christianity was born as a public religion where the claims that people made could be disputed because, you know, we could have taken a, you know, we could have shown you where the tomb was. We could have, you know, we I can show you whether this guy said that Jesus existed or not, or whether he rose again or not, and that kind of thing. And so for me, there's, there's this, I think people really underappreciate how unique Christianity is, that the main central claims of it are things that can be held up to historical scrutiny at the time when it was happening. And even today, some 2000 years later, we still have an extraordinary amount of access to those first followers, what they wrote, what they believed, what they said had happened. And for me, that's that's why we can still talk about the resurrection of Jesus all this time later. Well put. I love that analogy, Justin. Let me ask you this, though. You've got you've had people like Bart Ehrman and James Crossley and people that agree on the minimal facts. They agree that uh, Jesus was crucified. They agree that his disciples believed he rose from the dead and were willing to die for the belief. Uh, many of them agree that there was an empty tomb. Uh, how do they explain the facts, Justin? What what if it's not a resurrection? What was it that uh, explains the facts, according to them? Well, this is the curious thing, because because once you've got all of those facts sort of lined up, you've got to ask yourself, well, what's what's the best explanation for them? And what I found interestingly with someone mm -hmm. like Bart Ehrman, especially, is that he has said, well, as a historian, I simply cannot allow a miracle because then I'd be having to let miracles in all over the place. So he kind of believes that the historical method kind of excludes miraculous explanations a priori. And therefore, almost any explanation is better than the miraculous explanation. And so, you know, it, it, you know, he would say, well, you know, whatever it is, grave robbers or hallucinations or whatever, I've got to prefer a, a natural explanation to a supernatural explanation. Or I'd simply open the door to things that are outside the purview of history. He, he often sort of says, then you're doing theology, not history. And, and my, my reaction to that and, and the way that others have responded to him is, is simply that why, why should we, you know, rule out uh, the, the explanation that the first followers themselves gave just because it doesn't mm -hmm. shoot your methodology? methodological approach to history the right. fact is it could well be that this is at least one event in history where it feels like the facts point in that particular direction now of course there are other claims of miracles from other people and we're going to do the same with them we're going to ask does it make sense to believe that there are other miraculous claims and that other people may well of course other people do but i've rarely seen any evidence that they're nearly as well attested as this particular miracle claim so for me it's it's about saying okay um if there is a god and if for instance uh that god left us a whole set of telltale signs in the old testament that someone would come who would be this extraordinary figure who would die and who would be resurrected perhaps that's a clue to the fact that when it all seems to center upon this one individual 
and this extraordinary hole in history has appeared, which only seems to be explained by a resurrection, maybe this is the one instance where you can say historically that a miracle occurred because something strange happened. And uh, and so for me, I've never been satisfied with that idea that you, you simply can't do, you can't, you know, uh, do history and, and believe in miracles at the same time. So so that that's kind of what I've heard from Bart in the past. Yeah, it's a philosophical presupposition, and it seems like he's arguing in the circle, in a circle. He's saying miracles don't occur because we've never witnessed them. <laughs> it's it's the old David Hume argument, which doesn't work, as C.S. Lewis pointed out. He's arguing in a circle by saying, since we've never seen a miracle, they can't occur. Well, this might be the instance where you actually see a miracle. You can't just close it off. And it's interesting to me, Justin, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, I think people like Bart Ehrman and others in the past have tried to take a particular alternative theory, say hallucinations or, or, or the, the swoon theory or something like that. They may have said, oh, this is our explanation. Now it seems they don't even take a position. They just say mm -hmm. uh, the resurrection didn't occur. Well, then how do you explain the facts? And it doesn't appear that they... They have an explanation. Have you had any major skeptic on your program try and put forth a naturalistic theory uh, that explains the facts? Have you had anyone do that in recent times? Well, I, I, again, there's just been people who have who've given what if type theories. You know, what if you know what if okay. it was a great a grave robber? It, what what if it, it mm. was just you know they turned up at the wrong tomb? What if it was? But the problem is. None of those, when you run them through the kind of the filter, if you like, of the minimal facts, they all run into, for me, insuperable problems. So you've got the fact mm -hmm. that, you know, in, in the early church, the, the testimony of women uh, in, in the first century would have, you know, would have made sense to have invented a story where women were the first discoverers of the empty tomb. Their, their testimony right. was worth half that of a man. And yet this is what you have in the earliest accounts uh, of the Gospels, that women discover the, it, it's the kind of thing where, if you're talking about people fabricating something, there are so many aspects of the story that don't make sense of that. Not least, and this is something I was talking about on my most recent edition of Ask Anti Write Anything, the fact that the resurrection of someone in time went against all of Jesus' followers' theological expectations. Again, if you're talking about them having hallucinations because they really wanted him to be the Messiah, what they wouldn't hallucinate is him rising physically from the dead because that was a new thing that was completely novel kind of there was an expectation that people would rise from the dead at the end of time and you kind of get that don't you in the story of the raising of Lazarus in John where they said where, where Mary mm -hmm. says to him I know that he will be raised at the end of time but the point is Jesus was raised there in that moment and and this again it's it there there's too much kind of weirdness going on in this story for it just to be sort of some kind of expectation that got fulfilled through hallucinations. So for me, there's there's all kinds of reasons why these theories, these alternative theories, just don't seem to stack up ultimately. There's, there's too many points at which they fall through. And you have to ask yourself, in all honesty, what if the explanation those first followers gave is the true one, you know, that Jesus had been physically raised mm -hmm. from the dead? If you've got an open mind, and if you're willing to see that so much of history leading up to that moment and history since that moment seems to converge on this moment in history you've got to ask maybe there's a good reason maybe these people were not making it up maybe this is one instance in which what obviously is a miraculous event could actually make sense of the of all of the historical facts surrounding it so 
So I, I mean, none of this will force a skeptic to go that route. You know, anybody, you know, you can always bring another objection. But for me, it makes sense. It, it, if you're willing to be open to the possibility, it makes perfect sense of all of the data that we've got to hand. And it makes a lot of sense, as Justin points out in his book, Unbelievable. If you don't have the book, you ought to get it. And don't forget, Justin, give us the website again for the May 14th event, God Unmuted, over there in the UK, that people can join via the internet from this side of the pond. What's the website again? It's unbelievable.live. Uh, you can find out all about the topics, the speakers, and indeed the various options for joining us live from anywhere in the world, including US, Canada, and wherever people may be listening to this show. So that's unbelievable.live. Thank you so much, Justin. It's always great having you on the program and keep doing what you're doing on Unbelievable. God bless you, Frank. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Justin Brierley, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget, unbelievable.live. Check it out. May 14th. Sign up now. You can be a part of it live. You can also watch the lectures and the panel discussions afterwards as well. I'm Frank Turek. We'll see you here next week. He is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless.